Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. And the first thing that you should be aware of today is that I changed my mind about what I thought God would have me uh, bring to you today, the message that he would have me to bring. I was working on a Thanksgiving sermon for Wednesday night, and this is actually what I was going to preach on Wednesday night, but in the middle of that, I felt like the Lord would have me uh, speak to you today on this subject. I was going to preach on demons, and for some of you that might have been a little bit more appropriate, but I'm going to uh, suspend that. I'm going to wait till next week. We'll leave the demons till then, and we'll talk about them next week. And I want to talk to you on the subject of Thanksgiving, and more particularly about sharing our blessings. In a few minutes, we're going to share this Thanksgiving meal together, and that's a great reminder of all the blessings that God has given us throughout the year. But as we think about the blessings that God has given to each of us, I wonder how good that we really are at sharing those blessings with others. Now, I've chosen for the text today a parable that Jesus spoke in chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel. And I've referred to this parable many times in preaching, especially when we were in the Sermon on the Mount. We were in chapter 6, and we were talking about worry and about anxiety. And I talked a little bit about this parable at that time. Uh, The Scriptures teach that we have no need to be overly concerned about how we're going to live or even how long that we're going to live. Our lives are in God's hands. Uh, We eat and uh, we have shelter. We live every single day because God provides. And even the length of our life is in God's hands. So we need not worry, are we going to starve to death? Or are we actually going to be able to make it? Because how long we live is in God's hands. But if we're not thinking about the provisions that God gives and, and not thinking that things come from his hand, then what will tempt be tempted to do is to hoard things for ourselves, to save them up for ourselves because we're afraid that we won't have what we need in the end. Now, I want us to look at this parable in the 12th chapter of Luke, and I want to use it as the text today, but I really don't intend to give you a full exposition of this parable. We're just going to use this as sort of a a jumping-off place, a jumping-off point to deal with the subject of the blessing of sharing. So if you found Luke chapter 12, stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. And we look at verse number 16, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse number 16 And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Heavenly Father, thank you for those who have come today, and we thank you for this time of year again, Lord. Help us to see something here about sharing our blessings that will be of great benefit to everyone in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout the years, there have been many people who have called, been called experts in, in different subjects. There are some 
experts that have been proved to be wrong. We always think that an expert knows what he's talking about, but experts have been proved to be wrong over, over the different uh, time, source, uh, length of time. In 1840, there was a transportation expert who wrote these words in a leading newspaper. He said, anyone who travels in excess of 30 miles an hour will surely suffocate from the speed. Uh, there, there you find the difference between me and Brother Dalton. Uh, I like to drive fast, and he believes that he'll suffocate if he gets over 30 miles an hour. In 1878, there was a scientist who wrote, Electric lights are unfeasible and not worthy of serious attention. In 1901, there was another scientist who wrote, There is no possible combination that can be united into a practical machine by which men can ever fly. And it was just a few years after he wrote that, or just a short time, I should say, after he wrote that, that the Wright brothers did fly at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. In 1926, there was a scientist who said, It's a foolish idea to consider shooting a man to the moon because it's basically impossible. And we know that's been proven wrong. Many of you were just like me, those of you that are as old as I am. Back in 1969, on July 20th, we were all glued to a television set as Neil Armstrong took the first steps on the moon. And I'm still awed by that accomplishment. So experts have been wrong, and experts are really wrong when they're confronted with biblical principles, and they find out that God turns all of their expertise upside down. Today, there are many financial experts that are wrong. They tell you about how you can invest, and they tell you how you can increase your assets. They tell you what you can do with those. You can put it away, save it up for yourselves, and then in the end, you're going to have everything that you need. I'm sure all of you have seen that, most of you at least have seen that ING commercial where people are walking around with a long number with a dollar sign in front of it and they've got it tucked under their arm. And that dollar sign and that number represents the amount of money that they needed to have saved in order to enjoy their retirement. And that's the idea of the world, that we are to accumulate, accumulate things for yourself, keep on accumulating, and never worry about anybody else. That is the basic philosophy of what we find in this parable. And so the idea is not new. It's not something that suddenly sprung upon us in this generation. This is an old idea that what we need to do is to keep accumulating, keep gathering for ourselves. And this is what this man was doing. He kept accumulating from the blessings that he was given, and he was faced with a dilemma that most people today would love to have, and that is, what am I going to do with all of my stuff? The barns that he had were not big enough, and so he couldn't hold everything, and his solution was tear down the barns and build bigger barns. That's the idea that Jesus attacks in this parable. And the attitude is, this is all my stuff. I work for this, and I've earned it. I deserve it, and I'm going to keep everything that I have for me. And Jesus says in verse number 21, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich Toward God. The person who does this is continually laying up treasure for himself, but he is not rich toward God. Now we're going to explore that thought for a few minutes, and I want us to look at this attitude, and I want us to discover whether that's the right attitude for us to have. Does God expect something different from us? Does God want us to be caught up in this materialistic, me-first society? Well, I think the very first thing that we have to do 
is we have to think about what God has done for us. And we need to consider our spiritual blessings. Consider the spiritual blessings that God has given you. Now, I know that I'm uh, talking mostly to Christians today. And I know most of you that are in this room, you consider yourselves to be Christians. And you would never dispute with me that the most important thing in your life is God. The most important thing is your salvation and that relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And even though you might not live like that every single day, yet you're not going to agree with, uh, disagree with me on this, that the most important thing is not this life. The most important thing is not this world. The most important thing is the life that comes hereafter. It's the next world. Now, the Word of God plainly refutes the idea that we are to put all of our hope and all of our confidence in what we have here. I'd encourage you to read the rest of this 12th chapter a little bit later, and there you'll find that Jesus encourages us to keep up laying treasures for ourselves in heaven. This physical life is short, and that's why Jesus says do this. This life is very short. James says it's like a vapor that passes away. It's here one minute, and it's gone the next. And so this life is just minuscule when you consider it on the scale of time and eternity. So you're not going to disagree with me about this. At least theoretically, you will agree with me that spiritual life is far more important than physical life. Well, if you truly believe that, then we have to think about all the spiritual blessings that God has given us. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings because of Christ. Now there's a song that we sing that says, Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. And if you stop and do that, if you think back on your life of knowing Christ as Savior, you're going to be surprised at how many times and how many situations and how many times that things look bad and God has always brought you through that and God has always given you, given you a blessing. That's because God provides for us. God takes care of us. And we ought not to be apathetic about all those blessings that God has given and forget to thank God for them. So we thank God for this time of year for Thanksgiving because if we didn't have this one day per year, there are a lot of people who would never consider what God has done for them. Well, what about the spiritual blessings? Well, they are too numerous for us to count, so I'm not going to attempt today to give you a long, long list of all the spiritual blessings that God has given. But I want to point out just three special blessings that God gives you when you become a Christian, when you know Christ is Savior. And these are just representative of all the blessings that God gives. Now, I think that we have to start with this one. Uh, it's a very important one, and that is we have the blessing of a new nature. When you get saved, you've been given a new nature. You were born with a sinful, vile nature, and it's that inherent evil nature that causes this tendency and this propensity that we have to sin. And some people think, well, no, that can't be right. I can't have been born with a sinful nature because just think how sweet and innocent that little children are. You know, I'd invite you to come over to my house since the grandkids have come to visit. We love them. And they're very sweet little kids, but they're not always so innocent. 
Wait, wait until nap time comes and they haven't got their nap and they start to get a little bit angry about things, get a little bit short with each other and, and they get tired. And so one of them will take a toy away from the other one and while that one's not looking, the other one comes up and bops him on the back of the head and kicks him in the shins. When they do something wrong, you say, did you do that? Oh no, I didn't do that. That was Elijah that did that. <laughs> then you ask Elijah, did you do that? No, that wasn't me. That was Aiden that did that. Where do they get that? I mean, why do they say things like that? It's because of that sinful nature that all of us have. It's that sinful nature that causes us to retaliate against other people. It's the sinful nature that causes us to lie when we should be telling the truth. Where did they get that? Well, don't blame them because they got it from you. You passed it to them because you were also born with that sinful nature. And this is the exact reason why... That some of you, uh, maybe tomorrow morning, you'll call up your employer and you'll say, I'm sick. And you're not really sick. And you'll tell that lie. And that comes from that sinful nature that all of us have. But when Christ comes into your life, he brings with him a new nature. You have a redeemed nature. And it brings with it all these possibilities that you never had before. So you could never please God before. No matter how good that you are, how good that you think you are, no matter how nice and sweet that you think you are, you are actually never able to please God. And you know why? Because God is a perfectionist. And if you're going to please him, you can't please him in the flesh. You have to have this new nature. And when you've been given that new nature through your faith in Christ, then you have the ability to do the work of God. And that's when it actually becomes possible that you can do what Jesus says, that you can lay up treasures in heaven. You can't lay them up on the earth, but as a child of God, having this new nature, you can lay up treasure in heaven. So that's a blessing that God gives. He gives a new nature that's pleasing and acceptable with God. And through that new nature, we receive our spiritual blessings in Christ. Now, the second thing that we receive from God that we want, might want to notice is the blessing of a new home. When you become a Christian, you get the spiritual blessing of a new home. And that should be good news, especially in very tough economic times. Well, this past year has been... A very devastating one for many people, devastating as far as the economy is concerned. All the money that, that people have saved and have put into financial institutions, places that they thought was safe and they thought their investments were safe. Well, the financial failures of the last couple of years have wiped away all the savings of a lot of people. People have lost their homes. There have been record numbers of foreclosures all across the United States, and it's all due to this bad economy. Those that piled it up and kept piling it up and kept saving and saving, now they find themselves wiped out with one fell swoop. And that's depressing. And you can see that malaise on people's faces, even in the church. Uh, there's jobs that have been lost, and that can be a very depressing thing to us. And you see people with that on their faces. But did you ever stop to think about how inconsequential that disappointment is in the scheme of time and eternity? If you really believe this, what I said a moment ago, if you really believe that the spiritual is more important than this physical life, then have you stopped to think about that new home that God has prepared for you in heaven? This one that outshines everything that you could save for on this earth. Have you stopped to think about that? 
No, the Word of God says that we have an eternal home in the heavens that's not made with hands. In our subdivision, uh, over the past couple of years or so, they've been passing out papers from attorneys wanting you to file a lawsuit against the builders in our subdivision because there's been some faulty building in that area. Well, when you get your home in heaven, you're never going to file a lawsuit against this builder. He's built you a perfect home. There aren't going to be any complaints about it. There is no faulty construction. So he's gone to prepare a place for us, and he says he will receive us unto himself, and that is our eternal home in heaven. And I want to ask you, do you know where your home is? And if you know where that home is, why are you worried about accumulating all the stuff that you can here? Have you paid attention to what's being prepared in heaven for you, that new home that's being built? You know, you might have heard about this man who lived in Chicago, and it was in the middle of the winter. And I don't know if you've been to Chicago in the wintertime, but it's cold there with the water that comes in or the wind that comes across the lake. It is a very cold place. So this man had a business trip to go on, and he decided that here in the middle of the winter, he'd go on the business trip, and then he would go to Florida for vacation. So everything went according to plan, and he went to Florida, and he decided to send an email to his wife and uh, just to let her know that he had arrived safely. So he wrote her the email, but when he did, he got one little letter in that email wrong, And instead of the email going to his wife, it went to a poor little old lady that had just buried her husband. And when she opened that email, she read it and she fainted dead away on the floor. And the email said, Dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) And it said, P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) You know, if you're a child of God, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that place. But I'll tell you, if you don't know him, the best thing for you to do is pack the burn cream because you're going to need it for a long, long time. The Word of God says, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So you have that blessed assurance of a brand new home when you die. Now there's a third blessing that you should consider, and that's the blessing of a new family. And some of you should be very glad to hear this because a lot of you have bad apples in your family. And when you become a Christian, you receive a brand new family. Now, you see, all of us were born into the wrong family. People often talk about the family of mankind. And you hear people say, well, we're all, we're all born in the human family. We're all part of one family. Well, the Word of God teaches differently than that. Jesus said that there are two families, and he said there are two fathers. In John chapter 8, verse number 44, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he said to them, you are of your father, the devil. And when he said that, he didn't mean this. You're the only ones that have your father as the devil. What he means is every person without Christ, every person who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior and have trusted him to save them from their sins, every single person like that has the devil as their father. And did you know that every one of us, again, were born that way? We had the devil as our father. But when you become a Christian, you get a new family and you get a new father. You change families and you change fathers. Now, with the new birth, we're in this new family, and we have the Heavenly Father who has given us a whole different set of brothers and sisters. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. What a blessing that is. A new family. We're called the sons of God. You know, I have to say it to you. Some of you do have some very strange people in your families. My mother, I think about her. She does some strange things. You know, we, we had the time change just a couple of weeks ago. And my, my mother is the type, she sets the clock for 2 a.m. And when the alarm goes off, she gets up in the middle of the night just to turn the clock back. <laughs> we do some strange things. Now, I tell you this, uh, I hate to tell you this in a way, but when you get saved, the new family that you get also has some strange characters. There are some very strange Christians, and I've met a lot of them in my life. If you came in and sat at my desk and listened to the, some of the stories that I hear, you think, boy, there are some strange Christians, especially in California. I've met a lot of strange people here. But I'm thankful for this blessing, that I have received a new family when I trusted Christ. Now, I'm also thankful for my family that I have, my, my physical family. I'm thankful that all of them know Jesus as Savior. I'm thankful that I have two sons-in-laws that, that know the Lord and they serve the Lord. I'm thankful for that. But I'm also thankful for this new family that I have. And so I can tell you today that being here in Berean Baptist Church, there's no place that I'd rather be. I don't want to be anywhere else besides with my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here. And I have experienced the help from this new family in so many different ways. You know, I'm thankful that we have people in the church that will take care of others that have a need. We have some people that have spent hours and hours going over every evening to Brother Grant Evans' house and Marlene Evans and helping them. And it's not a good situation. It's a tough thing for them to do. They're not health care professionals, and they're doing a lot of things that, that health care professionals would have to do. And they're, they're helping Brother Grant and Marlene. We have people in the church that have put roofs on people's houses. Uh, we've had people that chop firewood to keep people warm in the wintertime. We have men and ladies that prepare food and take it over to those that are shut in and they, they can't get out. That's the kind of family that you get when you become a Christian. When you become a part of a church like this, that's the kind of family that you get. These are people that are not concerned about keeping it all for themselves, but they've decided they're going to take some of the blessings that God gives and share it with others. Now, that brings me to the second part of the message today. I wanted to start by reminding you that you need to think about those spiritual blessings that you've been given. So now that you have those, what does God expect for you to do for him? He's given you blessings. Now what does God expect you to do for him? Well, our second part of the message deals with share your material blessings. Think about all the things that God has given you, and when you've considered what God has given to you, then you ought to have the attitude that you want to share your material blessings. Now, let's go back to the parable once again, and we're going to read it one more time. In Luke 12, verse number 16, Then he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. 
Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now do you see the dilemma that the man has? What am I going to do with all of my abundance? And his solution was to tear down his barns and build bigger barns to hold it all. And he never once considered that God had given all of these blessings so that he could take that overflow and to share them and bless others. Now because of all the spiritual blessings that God has given, we ought to have an attitude of our hearts that we want to share those blessings with other people. Now I know when I say that, especially now, People wonder, well, well, how's that going to affect my personal economy? If I start to share what I have, what's that going to do to my personal economy? And everybody seems to be interested in the economy. Some think that you're never going to be successful until you understand global economics. And so we have our politicians who all have a different idea about what we need to do to position ourselves in the world and have our economy, how's it going to be affected by what the world does And we're very concerned about that. How's our economy fit into the overall picture of world economics? I want to share something with you here from the Word of God that is much more expansive. It's much more massive than the global economy. This is God's economy. You know, the Bible teaches that there is something called God's economy. And if you want to get in on what God is doing in this world, you have to understand God's economy. I'm going to give you three very simple, important principles of God's economy today. The first one is, and I think everybody knows this one, everything you have is a gift from God. That's the first principle you have to get down in this economy. Everything that you have came from God. Now, I need to remind you once again of what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 24. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. That statement is made three times more in the scriptures and you are not going to go any further in this economic class until you understand this very important principle. Everything that you own was given to you by God. Every material blessing that you've ever come into, God gave it to you. I know people disagree with that statement. I mean, some say, well, no, I I can't agree with that one. I worked for it. I earned it for myself. I went to school. I got my education. Everything that I have, I earned by the sweat of my brow. Now, let me interrupt your thinking there for just a minute because this is the very same thing that was being said back in the time of the children of Israel. And they had been in bondage in Egypt. They had been sorely oppressed there, and God delivered them from it. And when they started, God warns that when you get into the promised land, you're going to be thinking, wow, look what I've got. Look what's mine. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 17, the thought was, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. And God comes back with, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Now etch that one into your brain. God is the source of everything that you have, and it's God who gives you the ability to get your wealth. And when you understand that principle, that'll change your whole outlook on this world and and, and what you have. It changes it all when you understand that God is the one who gives it to you. 
Now your job, that might be the vehicle by which you earn, but God is the source of that job. God is the one who gives you the health and the ability to earn money. Now some people think, well, no, it's the investments, it's my job, that's what it is, that's my source. That's not your source. Your job is not your source, your investments are not your source. God is the source of it all. And that changes your attitude. Now there are too many people that are like the little boy He was on his way to Sunday school. His mom had given him two quarters. And he's on his way to Sunday school. She says, you put one of those quarters in the offering plate in Sunday school. And then you can take the other quarter and buy yourself some ice cream on the way home. Well, he's on his way to church, and he dropped one of the quarters. One of them rolled into the storm sewer in the street. And he said, wow, God, that's too bad. We just lost your quarter. (laughs) And that's the way a lot of people think about it. Uh, I've got some things, and I've got some other things. And what I have, I'm going to give some of that to God. It's all mine, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to share just a little bit of it with God. Here's the truth of the matter. It's all God's. Everything that you have belongs to him. God has just allowed you to keep some of it. Now, there are people who make out their offering checks, what they're going to give to the church each week, and they give God leftovers. They write out their checks for all the bills that they have and all the checks for the football tickets and the toys and the hobbies and vacations that they want to take. And when they get down to the end of that, they say, well, I've got a little bit left over, so here, God, this is what I'm going to give to you. Now, God, it's all mine, but I'm going to give you some of what's mine. Nope. It's God's to begin with. It's all his. You know, I had this idea with the deacons the other day, and I still, might, I still might do this. I'm still thinking about doing this. But I said to the deacons, I said, why don't we implement what we'll call a dollar offering? And at the end of the service, before we go home, we'll just pass the plate again, and we'll just ask people to just simply put a dollar into the offering plate. And one of them said, I, this is what came back to me, and I think it was probably their former financial secretary over there. He said, wow, that'll double some people's offering. Now, can you imagine that? That all the blessings that God has given us and people will put a dollar into the offering plate and think that's sufficient for God? What about all those spiritual blessings? What about what God has given? And here we are. We refuse to give back to him. We act as if we deserve it and if it's ours to keep. Well, thank God that he's not stingy like a lot of you. He gave us the ten tenths. It's all his And out of that ten-tenths, God says, you only have to give a tenth of it back to me. And folks, we are living in the day of grace. And I think of that tenth as just your starting place for giving back to God. So don't be like the guy in the parable who says, God keeps blessing me. And so what I'll do, I'll just build a bigger barn to keep it all. And when my children were little, they wanted to buy their mom and I a mom and me a Christmas Christmas present. So they're, they're little and they can't. They don't have a job. They don't have any money. So we would give them the money and they would go to the mall and they would buy us a Christmas present. And on Christmas morning we would open the presents and I would say, "Wow, look what I bought for myself. Look what I gave myself." Well, no, I didn't say that. You know, I didn't say that. I was thankful for what I got because those children would give us that present out of love for us. Now, if you can understand that as an earthly father or mother, think how God feels when he's given you so much and you just take what he's given and give some back to him. 
Did you know that you can bless God? That blesses God when his children give back to him. So principle number one in this economic lesson is that everything that you have is a gift from God. Principle number two is that what you give to others, you give to God. What you give to others, you give to God. When you help someone, you've not just helped them. You see, there's a principle in the Word of God that says that God so closely identifies with his people that Christ lives inside of them. And when you do something for his people, you've done it to him. I don't have time to read it all, but you can look in Matthew chapter 25. You want to write the reference down and read this later. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 46. And in those scriptures there, Jesus gave two very important principles. He said to his disciples, he said to the people standing by there, if you give just a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple to one of my disciples, you have given it to me. You've done it to me. When you help someone who's down and out, when they don't have food and you help to feed them, it's as if you had done it to Christ. When you give them shelter, when you take care of them, when they're hurting, it's as if You've done it to Christ. And that's a very important principle that Jesus teaches there. But he also teaches the opposite side of that. And the opposite is, if you see someone who has a need and you don't help them, then it's the same thing as if Christ was there and you didn't help him. Now you say, well, I would never do that. Would you see Jesus hungry and not feed him? Would you see him thirsty and not give him something to drink? Would you see him down and out with nothing at all and not help him? Would you see him sick and not go visit him and and, uh, help him in any way that you could, like our brethren and ladies have done with the sick ones that are in our church? Would you do that if you saw Jesus in that condition? Would you not help him? This is what Jesus is saying. And you say, oh, I would never do that. I'd never do that to Jesus. Well, then think of it in these terms. What about when you don't give your tithes and offerings? That is the same as saying, I do not care about Christ's work in this church. I don't care about the gospel being preached here. I don't care about people that are on the other side of the world who need to hear about Jesus Christ. I don't care about them. What I care about is me. I care about spending my money on me. That's the most important thing. I don't really care about Jesus. Jesus is teaching that in in those sayings in Matthew chapter 25. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something. That is mighty dangerous ground for a person who calls himself a Christian. It is dangerous ground for you to tread on. Because you know what Jesus said? In the 46th verse of that chapter, chapter 25 in Matthew, he said, To them I will say... Depart from me. He said, I'm going to say to you, go into everlasting punishment. And what he's trying to teach us is that people who are real believers in God, real believers in Jesus Christ, don't think that way. Real believers don't act that way. And so if you call yourself a Christian and you say, I'm so interested in those, mater- those uh, spiritual blessings, I'm so interested in what God is doing up there in heaven for all of us, And yet you keep it for yourself if you have that attitude. You have to wonder, friends, am I really a Christian? Am I really a believer in Jesus Christ? Now, discipleship is much more difficult and much more stringent than most people imagine. But we have to ask, is it really hard to give it away? 
Is it really hard to share those blessings with others? Well, it's not when you consider the next principle. It's not when you consider that unselfish giving brings more blessing. You keep giving it away, but unselfish giving brings more blessings. Now, I'd like you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I hope you're getting hungry because I'm going to make you appreciate your meal when you finally do get it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and here we're talking about God's economy. And the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about the grace of giving. And he compares God's economy to an agrarian economy. And there's a very simple agrarian principle that backs up God's economic principle. Unselfish giving brings more blessing. Now, if you'll look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse number 6. But this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And listen, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, that's speaking about God, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Now, the very simple principle there is that the more seeds that you sow, the more that you're going to reap. So if you sow one kernel of corn, you're going to reap a stock of corn with hundreds of kernels. I know that there are plenty of preachers that will take this scripture and they'll say, what you need to do is sow your seed faith money. And it's always in terms of money. That's the way that they think. I mean, this is what they think enrichment is. That if you do that, then you're going to reap hundreds more dollars than you have sown. Well, they're the ones that reap the millions. And the folks that send in all the money, they've just kicked God in the shins because they're looking for the very thing that God says we ought not to be concerned about. God is not thinking in terms of money. God's always going to take care of you. He's already promised to do that. You can count on it. But he's dealing here with treasures that are in heaven. God blesses us abundantly. And so if you give because you think that if I give, then I'm going to get more stuff to put into my barn, then Jesus has a word of caution for you. He says, he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. So that's a spiritual principle. God's economy works in this way. Now, some people think, well, to be rich, that means, of course, you have to have a bunch of money. Well, that's just one way to be rich, and that's not even the chief way according to the Word of God. That's one way you can be rich. But the Word of God says that he will make you rich in every way. According to verse number 10, it says he multiplies the seed that's sown. He increases what? The fruits of your righteousness... And he enriches you in everything to all bountifulness. And what does it do? It causes you to give thanksgiving to God. So you're not rich in money only. You're rich in everything. So what does God do? Does he make you rich so you can spend more money on yourself? No. 
It says he'll make you rich in every way in order that you can give back to him and to others. And that's a cycle that just keeps going and going. It's just like the Energizer Bunny. It goes and it goes and it goes and keeps on going. When you plant the seed, you reap a harvest. When you plant more seed, you reap a greater harvest. And then when you reap the seeds that have come out of that greater harvest, you get even a greater harvest. That's the way God's economy works. And one thing that you'll learn among many things that you learn through this is that you cannot outgive God. It's impossible to outgive God. You can't give more to him than he gives to you. Now, Paul wrote this in Romans when he was taking an offering to poor saints that were in Jerusalem. He'd been in the Macedonian churches who were themselves very poor people. And they would be the kinds that we see in America today. It says, I can't possibly help anybody else because I'm so poor. Well, poor people in Macedonia collected an offering to send to poor saints, poorer saints that were down in Jerusalem. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Is anybody here in the room today that said, would say, I want the fullness of the gospel of Christ? I mean, if you want the fullness of the gospel, raise your hand. You want the fullness of the gospel of Christ? How many of you? Sure. I don't know anybody. Well, some of you didn't raise your hand. Maybe I do know some of you. Um, but I, I really can't believe that anybody would say, no, I don't want the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Give me part of that. Give me half the blessing and the fullness of Christ. Give me a little bit of the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I want to be very careful. I don't want to get blessed too much. And that's the way a lot of people are with their giving. I don't want to get blessed too much. I'm not going to chance that. So I'll keep it for myself. Folks, when you give, God gives. And when you give, God blesses. And when you shovel out, God shovels in. You're shoveling out with a little shovel. God's bringing it back with a backhoe. He's keep giving you blessings. Now the question is, what are you doing with the blessings that God gives? Are you willing to share that with others? Now do you believe the financial experts? They don't agree with God's economy. They can't figure this out. I mean, you get down and you start writing this on a piece of paper and scribbling it all down and writing all the lists down here and getting all the figures down. They will tell you this will not work. You cannot give things away and end up with more than you had if you gave it away. It can't work that way. That's what the experts say. How many of you ever sat down and figured up your net worth? You know, I've done that. Not much. Not much. Not much in the world's goods. But if you want to really figure out how much you have and what your net worth is, here's the way to do it. You'll find it on your listening sheet today. You want to figure out how rich you are? Add up everything that money can't buy and everything that death can't take away. Add up everything that money can't buy and that death can't take away. You know, I've known lots of people with lots of money. They weren't actually rich at all. Being rich is having your needs met, and being rich is living a happy, fulfilled life with what God has given. And many wealthy people don't live that way because they're always seeking for the dollar, always trying to get more and they find out that money never satisfies them. The more they have, the more that they want. And you know why? You know why? Because money does not satisfy the hungering and the thirsting of the soul. 
Man was not built for the physical only. There's a spiritual part of man. And if you're just going to fill up the physical part of man, you'll never be happy because you have to fill up that spiritual side of man. That's where your happiness is going to come from. And how do you do that? Well, Scripture says that Jesus fills it up. He says, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Money can never buy you treasures in heaven. And what you do get in heaven, death can never take it away. Friends, there's only one way that you can be rich today, and that's to know Jesus as the Savior. The only way to be rich and to receive the abundance that God has is to receive it in the righteousness of Christ. And the wonderful thing about this is you don't have to trade anything for it. You don't have to save up for it because God gives it as a free gift. By faith in him, you receive these spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings in Christ. Now, if you've received that, then what are you doing for Jesus? What have you given back to him? Let let me leave you with this thought today, and I want you to very seriously consider this. The last thought in your listening sheet today. Am I sharing my blessings or building bigger barns? Am I sharing my blessing or building bigger barns? That's what this man did. And Jesus says, if you're treasuring it all up for yourself, then you're not rich toward God. That's a principle of God's economy. God gave it, and now you share it. Everything that you have is a gift from God. What you give to others, you give to God. Unselfish giving brings more blessing. I'm going to ask you today, do you still believe the financial experts? Do you think they're right? Who's right, them or God? I'll trust God every time on that one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great God that you are. You have blessed us in so many ways, so many spiritual blessings that you have given to us. We can't number them all. But we thank you, Lord, and we want to do what you tell us to do. We want to give some of those blessings back. And we know, Lord, you keep pouring the blessings on. You keep enriching us in so many different ways. Now it's time for us to give back to you. Lord, I prayed you'd speak to some person's heart today. Speak to that lost person who can't really identify with anything that I'm saying here because they haven't received spiritual blessings because they don't know you. That's where they come from. So, Lord, I just pray you'd open up their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May they understand that righteousness in Christ comes from their faith in you. Bless them today, Lord. And we pray all of our members here today, people that claim to know Christ, who have said that the spiritual is more important than the physical, then let's show it. Help us to show that. Help us to really show that we believe what we say. Bless our people today. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.